Uh, well, um, as already some of you know, uh, Trish and I, this is our first Sunday back after being gone for three months on a sabbatical. And so Trish and I were talking, and, and we just both wanted to thank you. But uh, I thought some of you don't know Patricia, and it give, give you a chance to just meet her. And also, she wants to say something, so I'm going to let her do that. Good morning, Cherry Hills. Jeff and I do want to thank you for giving us um, the sabbatical. Though it was primarily a pastoral sabbatical, I want to also express my appreciation for the way I gleaned, too, from the time away. So thank you for that. It was a big blessing to sit down together with Jeff and talk about the past and discuss the future. And um, one other thing I really enjoyed was Jeff's undivided attention um, that I got from him. So with a grateful heart, thank you so much. Thanks, 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 thanks. Most of the time, still have to keep learning how to do that. But uh, um, so, well, we do want to say thank you. And um, again, I've tried to explain some of that in the back of the bulletin column. And then my guess is in the coming weeks, uh, different things are going to just leak into what I say. And, and hopefully um, you'll be able to see. But here's the, here's the main thing I want to tell you. It worked. It worked. I... Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, if the purpose was to recharge, I was telling somebody the other day, if you picture a rubber band, if it, it's stretched all the time, it loses its elasticity. And uh, sometimes, as pastors, I'm sure you feel like this sometimes, as moms or in your job or dads or different situations we have, uh, you just feel like a machine. And sometimes it's easy, even as a pastor, just to become like a ministry machine in your mind and things become mechanical. It's not God's fault. It's just it's a lot of times us, we do that. And so just to be able to get away, well, like the rubber band, when it gets a chance to rest, then it has that elasticity. And I feel like my mind is sharp again. I feel like I'm renewed. And I'm so glad to do this with you. And uh, so, again, let me just kind of uh, make our way into the message. Um, uh, someone said, uh, you know, what were your takeaways? Uh, I guess what I'd say is uh, there's a whole bunch of them, but let me just mention two that have to do with the message today and where we're going as a church. The first is, is that I sensed, uh, and I'll explain a little bit later how, but I sensed that God wants me, us, to prepare for times of testing. And um, again, that, that, that there may be some challenging days ahead for us as followers of Christ, as a church. And so he wants us to prepare for that. And he just, he kind of alerted me to just be ready for that. And the second thing is that he wanted me to remember what I keep forgetting. And that is that he is already at work around us. I do not have to make him do something. I do not have to kickstart him into action. It is not about me making something happen. It's about joining him. And that is just, that takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? When we feel like it's all up to us. But it doesn't mean we don't have a part. It just means that he's the author. He's the initiator. He's the one that's already doing stuff. He said, you know, 
You did not choose me. I chose you to go and bear fruit. I, I have a plan. I'm working that. And the other thing is that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He started it. He's at work. And so I just needed to be reminded of that. And so I come back to you today, and I want to just announce that I've already messed up the message notes for the first time my first week back. Isn't that great? <laughs> I said to Trish yesterday, I did it again. She, I said, that's just classic Jeff. And she says, tell him that. Okay, so, so on some of your notes, about half of you have this sentence that says at the top of your notes, come what may, I want to be a shallow fighting Jesus follower. <laughs> it's a wonderful sentence, probably why I couldn't possibly bring myself to take it out, but the line that's in some of the rest of your notes is really the one I want to start with today, so maybe you want to write this in and thanks for the grace. Jesus is looking for shallow fighters who hear and join him. Jesus is looking for shallow fighters who hear and join him. If you haven't been around, we've been talking about how we want to declare war on shallow Christianity. And part of what I want to say is, is that far from giving me a sense that we need to do a lot of different things as a church, God just helped me appreciate what he's already been showing us as a church and how we can do it even more intentionally. That we're on the right track with him, but that we need to stay and continue and keep walking in the same direction with him. And so as we talk about shallow fighters, I was really conscious, you know, I listened to every message while I was gone, and I thought to myself, gosh, my first Sunday back, I know I'm not going to talk about sex or romance or any of the things that, you know, a lot of you I know really appreciate, so this may not be as sexy to talk about, but this stuff can really help us if we think about it today, okay? So what I want to do is invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, if you're getting used to your Bibles, um, there, it's in the last fourth of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, Jesus is teaching in this passage. If you didn't bring a Bible but you'd still like to look at it, then on page 701 of those black Bibles near you, if you just pull that out, you can actually uh, turn to Mark 4 that I'll get to there quickly. And um, we want to be first-handers with God's Word, don't we? And so um, we're going to look at this today. And here's the reason why we're going to look at this passage. This is the only time, along with Mark 13, which also shares this parable that Jesus tells, and so does Luke 8. This is the only time between Mark 13, 5 and, I mean, uh, Matthew 13, 5 and Mark 4, 5 where Jesus uses the word shallow. And he has some comments, some observations to make about shallowness. What does it look like? What is it? How does it work in our lives? And what can we do about it? So what I want to do is I want to read through this passage with you, make some observations, and then talk about how our mission dovetails in that and make a few observations from sabbatical. Does this give you an idea where we're going? Okay, why don't we pray? You know, one of the things we often do before we preach, those of us that are the teachers here, is we just as a church family bow our heads and declare our dependence upon God. Just to depend on Him, trust Him, practice trust. So let's pray. 
Now, God, I don't fully understand, just like I don't understand how electricity works. I don't often understand how trust works, but I do know it does. And so as we trust in you, not as a crutch, but as our very life, you do something fruitful in our lives that doesn't happen when we don't trust you. So I pray that you would somehow use this Sunday morning in September to just sharpen us and prepare us for whatever may come, good or bad. Let us, Lord, be a church of shallow fighters, we pray. Amen. So let's look at this passage. I'll read verse 3 and 4 uh, in chapter 4, and then I'll ask you to read that first gray box that has verses 5 and 6. So just be ready with that. Here's what Jesus said one day. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now this is the first of four different soils he's going to mention. The path is is soil, but it's gotten all packed down by busy feet. And so it's hardened. Second, let's read uh, verse 5 and 6 there in the great box. Would you read that with me? Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. You may want to circle that word, by the way. But when the sun came up, The plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Now, if you jump down later in this uh, passage, he explains the parable. Now, interestingly, before he explains the parable, when he gets done telling the parable the first time through, he says this, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I'm calling out to those of you that are listening to me talking to you. Are you listening? And how are you hearing? See, what he's going to explain is that these soils, which he eventually beyond the rocky one talked about, thorny soil, which all these other thorns grow in and start choking out the plant. It looks like it's going to really get started, but it never gets to fruitfulness. So therefore, the hard path, the rocky path, and the thorny soil all have this in common. None of them are fruitful. It all turns out to be a waste. But he said there's another one that's good soil. It's soft and it's it's workable. And he says, I want to talk to you about that. And so the soil represents our heart and our receptivity, our, our responsiveness to when Jesus does speak through his word, either publicly or personally to us. How do we hear? Whoever has ears to hear, I'm calling out to you. Do you hear me? Will you join me? How will you respond? So verse 14, look what it says. It says, the farmer sows the word. Can I just stop and say something here? Before the soil does anything, the farmer's already working. I just mentioned that earlier. Do we think the Christian life is our idea? Do we really think that it's all this performance on our part? Or is it much more of a relationship with the farmer? The one who sows the seed. He's he's sowing seed. I have something for you. These are words of life. They're not just mechanical words. They're not just propositional truths. They are that. But they're words of life that are powerful when they live inside a person. 
And then, look at verse 15. Some people are like seed sown along the path, where the seed, when the seed is sown, excuse me, where the seed is sown, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes along and takes away the word that was sown in them. How can he do that? Because it just lays on top there. It, does, it has no penetration into a person's life. When we're hard, just like a bird, he can just take the word, has no impact. Then he says, others, like seeds sown on rocky places, this is shallow soil. You know, in the Middle East, just like some places here in the United States, there is this limestone, and so there would be places where there was just a very thin layer. There was dirt, there was soil, but it was real thin. So when the roots try and go down, they get absolutely inhibited. They can't, they can't build on that. They don't have enough room. And he says that when that happens, he says, he says but since they have no root, it says, oh, excuse me, they hear the word at, and at once receive it with joy. In other words, the good start they seem really open. Wow, that's great. Then it says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, in other words, when the word starts wanting to make changes or creates some quote-unquote trouble or difficulty, they quickly fall away. And the idea there is not just that they fall, they fall away completely. They don't come back. Soil, so, excuse me, still others like seed sown among thorns. Here's the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now let me just make some observations if you're following along in the notes. Here we go. First, he says some don't give him much room to work. His teaching on shallow is he says, look, there are people that when they hear God's word, whether publicly or they read it personally or whenever God's speaking to them through the Bible, through his spirit, that they don't give him much room to work. They're a lot like the shallow soil. They'll go this far and no further. I'll give you this much dirt, God. I'll give you this much of my heart. But I've got conditions. And so as long as it's good news, then I am all for it. I'll receive it with joy. But, you know, come on. And so he says this, if you're following along, the next thing, notice what he says. But when trouble or persecution come, they fall away, if you're following along. When trouble or persecution come, they fall away. Notice, it doesn't say if. He doesn't say if. He says when. Jesus said the same thing in the parable uh, that he told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, when the storms come, it's going to show where people really are at. It's not if, it's when. You just live a little longer. And so this whole idea of preparing for times of testing is, I don't know what that type of testing it may be for your life. It may be extreme, it may be mild. It may be nothing compared to some of the people you see. But when it comes, how will we respond? And then he says, but some humbly make room for him. 
And I didn't know the best way to end this sentence, so you'll probably get a kick out of this. I just put the word, and wow. <laughs> so, but some humbly make room for him, and wow. Did you see that? It says, but some people who hear God's word, they accept it, they hold on to him, and they let him, they work with him, 30, 60, 100 times beyond what they could have ever imagined God did in their life. All because not the soil was so amazing, it was just cooperative. The seed had this power and this life and this purpose that was working out in their life. And when the two worked together like that, wow. Not necessarily all at once. Sometimes you wonder, am I a Christian? But wow, he just works. He just does. Now, let me say one more thing. What I want you to notice is what gives people roots. What grounds people? What roots them so that when things happen, they can stand in times of testing? That what happens in their life isn't just a flash in the pan, but it's something that, that grows in season, out of season, no matter whether it's hot or whether the seasons are favorable or not. What is it? What brings roots? Jesus says, it's his words. Now, let me make just one observation. I want to just tell you a little bit about sabbatical. So let me show you a few things on the screen, okay? In the bulletin column, I mentioned that part of what my project was was to gather. Um, today, 30 years ago, I came to Cherry Hills as a youth pastor. It's just an amazing thing. Now, I don't, I'm not that old. I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Something happened. But I want to show you that when I went away for sabbatical, I divided my life into five periods of 15. Some I've already lived, and some I'm not sure if I will live, but I just I wrote them that. So you can see the columns. In 1969, on my parents' couch in our house in Danville, I invited Jesus Christ to come into my life. Uh, my grandparents' pastor, along with my parents, helped explain to me that God came to earth, his son as a human being, to die in my place and live the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died so that I could become right with God. And I trusted Christ. And did I understand everything? No. But from 1969 to 1984, when I came to Springfield, that 15-year period, I just tried to write everything I could in that column. I write really small, by the way. But actually, I did that several times. I just tried to say, okay, what else happened in that period? You know, because stuff starts to come back to you, and I asked the Lord just to show me stuff. Then from 1984 to 1999, January 1st, 1999, by God's grace, you let me become the lead pastor of this church. What happened in that 15-year period? I was out in Iowa for about six and a half years as a pastor there, youth pastor, all these things. So I started just writing down failures, successes, relationships, all those things. And then from 1999 to 2014, when the sabbatical was happening, I just looked back in these last 15 years. What a rocket ride. Some painful stuff, some good stuff, some great stuff, some huge failures, all kinds of stuff. I just tried to write it all down. And then this next 15 years that I have, Lord willing, to retirement age, what would it look like? What would God want to do? And Trish and I tried to spend time talking about that. We didn't look in some crystal ball. We just tried to pray. We just said, okay, what's God wants us to be about? And part of what he showed me on sabbatical, he wants us to be about fighting shallow, that we're onto something here, that he's in this, 
that he wants us to become a church more and more, the fight shallow. But then that last 15 shows that if God should let us live long enough to retirement, what would retirement look like? Now, I don't know if you um, are married, if you're not married, if you have thoughts about your own retirement, but there's times where Trish and I were talking about retirement and we'll watch how somebody's doing it and she'll say to me, we're not doing it like that. Okay, but we never had a chance to get on the solution side and say, okay, we may not do it like that, but how, how does God want us to think about what gifts has he given us? How can we still keep serving him even in retirement years? So anyway, we did that. That was one tool I used, okay? Does that kind of help you get an idea of what I was thinking about? By the way, this just, I didn't do this in five minutes. I mean, this was over a number of days and weeks and months. So then the other tool was this. Uh, Donald Miller has this thing where he talks about a life planning tool and one of the things in his 10 modules is this thing called my timeline and you'll see there if you can see below there's these negative turns and positive turns so when you fill it all out and it takes quite a while to do this this is what my timeline looked like okay so I was able just to map these things that went up and went down okay you can take it down in case there's some embarrassing things people see up on that <laughs> but the idea is this by doing that I was able to reflect back and see where I've been shallow and where God's really, really put his finger on something in my life and said, I want to I turn it for good. I want to do something with this. And I'm, I'm humbling you right now. I'm, I'm asking you to make room for me in this. And wow, it's an amazing thing. But also, here's what happened. I was able to see how on three different occasions in the last 30 years, I almost quit. I mean, I was really close. You know, my cheese was starting to slide off its cracker. And God is so faithful. He is at work for good. You know that, don't you? even when it doesn't seem like it. Do you remember the story with Elisha? Where he and his servant were surrounded by this army that had come to get him. And uh, the servant said, what are we going to do? Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Lord, open his eyes. And the minute God answered that prayer, the servant was able to see that outside the army surrounding that army was the Lord's angels and chariots of fire in the hills. And there are times that we cannot see that there are more who are with us than who are with them. But there are days when we may go through difficulty testing. And so God just was bringing that back and helping me see. He was working even when I couldn't see it. He was working even when I didn't know it. He was working even when I didn't believe it. And he wants to work in your life and mine, but he's looking for our response. He's asking us to hear and join him. That's our part, is to join him, not to make stuff up, not to try. And here's what happened with the soil. The soil told the seed how to adjust to it. But God says, no, 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 that's not how it works. When the soil says, I will adjust to you, then, oh my goodness, what can happen when soil is responsive and open like that? So what's shallow? We've been talking about shallow a lot. What's shallow? I'll give you a definition here, but let me just build on it if you're following along in the notes. Shallow is wherever and whenever I won't surrender to Jesus. 
Shallow is any place in my life or your life, wherever it might be. It can be in a place, it can be in a relationship, it can be in a job deal, it can be at school, it can be wherever I don't or won't surrender to Jesus. Guess what? I'm a shallow person. And really, if you want to know, the definition I walk around all the time thinking about is shallow equals unsurrender to Jesus. So I told you that I went back and looked at my life and all that stuff. One of the things that I saw as a thread through my life is that both with my dad as my pastor and then other pastors after him as I got older, these pastors had this uncanny ability to wreck my life. And I mean that in the best possible way. But here's how they did it. They would preach the Bible, and then they would end the service by saying this, okay, now we've looked at this. We've heard what God says. Now it's decision time. Will we yield to him or not? Will we surrender? Will we make room? Will we adjust to him? Or will we keep on going and trying to live life on our own terms and determine our own way of doing life? And I'm telling you what, that question just messed with me. And I realized it wasn't my dad or a pastor talking, just like it's not me talking right now, it's the Lord's talking to you. It was the Lord saying, I'm asking you to surrender to me in this area, not to ruin you, but to make you fruitful. And you can't see that right now, but I'm asking you to trust me. Join me. Come on. And to the extent that we've done that, friends, it's been big. And I said to you earlier that the word of God is the only thing God can use to root us, that that's what he builds everything on, is his life teaching and his word. One of the moments that I had to look back on in that timeline in those five columns is back in 2000, 2001, within a year or two of me becoming senior pastor. One day, God just woke me up and shook me and said, Jeff, over the last few months and years, under your leadership, you've become more interested in being relevant, and there's nothing wrong with being relevant. It's just that when you make that the most important thing, it can skew stuff. And he said, Jeff, on your watch, this church is not teaching the word of God as regularly and faithfully as I want you to, and it's your fault. So one Sunday morning in August of 2000, I stood up, 2001, I said, I want to explain to you what's happened, I want to apologize to you, and I want to make this announcement today. Those days are over. From this day forward, we will preach God's word as humbly and faithfully and consistently as we possibly can. Because, friends, when the storms come, the only way you and I will have roots is if we have built it on what God says. Because heaven and earth will pass away, but he says my words will never pass away. His words are faithful and true. Now, I want to just tell you this. We sit in a room right now where most people are going... Well, it's pretty safe to say that here, Jeff. But I want to tell you, times are changing. And um, when I was on, I spent a couple weeks in England. And uh, as I was flying home from there, 
I had to fly through Dublin on a connecting flight. And when I got to the airport, there was a whole bunch of breaking news about the tragedy that's going on in Iraq right now. And I watched these Christian brothers and sisters of ours fleeing, not just their churches, but their, for their lives. And people being injured and hated and killed and raped. And I, it was just like, whoa. I'm trying to take all this in. It's a lot to take in, isn't it? And as I was watching that, again, across the ticker of my mind, you'll have to judge whether or not I heard God accurately or not, but I had this overwhelming impression, Jeff, <clears throat> prepare people so that if I allow that to happen in the United States, people will be ready for that. And instead of being ruined by that, they'll actually flourish in that. Because you know, I don't know if you know this, but we hear all the bad stuff that happened, right? You realize God's leading people to know Jesus in the midst of that hell. That Jesus Christ is shining brightly in some of the darkest places as hard as it is for us to believe. And so after this last service, I had a man come up to me and said, I used to work at Shaw's there, you know, in the, uh, it's some floral shop or some uh, greenery place, a, a landscaping place. And he said, one day he came in and he said, you know, that glassed-in uh, dome kind of thing. He said, it came in and a palm tree that had been in there was on the ground. And I said to the guy, how did this happen? He said, well, there's no wind in here. So it never had to develop roots. He said, you know, what also I learned while I was working at Shaw's, he said that in a forest, you know which trees are the strongest? He said, the ones on the outside the ones that take the wind, because when the wind comes, their roots, instead of being ruined, their roots can go down deeper. Why? Because the seed can do that with soil that cooperates. So here's the news, friends. God may take us through times of testing. That's so much more unfun than to talk to you about sex. <laughs> but if he does, if he does, he already has a plan. And he will help us. Uh, I need to move on. But what I want to tell you is, is that here's what I perceive that day, and I perceive it's coming, and I'm not trying to be an alarmist. The covering which conservative Christians have enjoyed in the United States is coming off. You probably know it even more than I do. And Tim Keller and other pastors like that have said that now things have not only changed where when you talk about the Lord, it's not only people go, well, that's just good for you. But look what he says. He said, what is changing is for the first time in history, a growing group of people in our nation who think the Bible is bad, it's dangerous, it's regressive, it's a bad cultural force. That was just never there before. So here we say, Cherry Hills, we're going to teach the word of God. You do realize that some people believe that this is a terrible thing to teach because of the damage that can be done, especially if it's not taught in the right spirit. So I say it humbly that we need to be humble about this. Now, let me move on and tell you how this relates to our mission. So a few years ago, as I looked back, all the pastors in 2010 went out east. We stayed at a seminary campus there and we camped out, we did some visiting of other churches, and we tried to answer this question after praying. 
What is the problem God has called us to solve? Now, I don't have time to go into all this. If you want to go back into the last Sunday in August in 2010 on our website, you can listen to this in more detail. But as we prayed, all of us, what we are bothered by, both in ourselves and in people that we see in churches, is this nominal Christianity. This, I want Jesus as Savior, but I don't want him to be the Lord of my life kind of shallowness. And it's just everywhere. God is a God of grace, but he's not a God of truth. God is a God. And this whole shallowness, that's this flimsy kind of, I can use Jesus as my rabbit's foot rather than submitting to him as the Lord of my life, that kind of stuff. We just were all bothered by that and realized that Jesus was calling us to be one of other churches in this community that fight that first in ourselves. And we came up with this statement. And if you can't see it on the banner, it's also on the back of your notes. But let's read uh, what it says in the back of the notes there together. Would you read it with me? So it says, We believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity beginning with ourselves, and also by becoming and making disciples who what? Love the Lord, love one another, and serve the world. And so in the time that we have, let me just say this, because I want to show you how we understand this is one of the most effective ways to fight shallow. And what I want you to notice, friends, is this, is, is, that, is that before I went on sabbatical, we, we went to a conference, the pastors did, and also some of the books I read this summer, where they were talking about how do you help people not only grow and mature, but what are the things you got to understand? They said one of the things that every Christian's got to understand is where the place of invitation and challenge are. When Jesus met people, how did he approach them? He was high invitation. Follow me. This is for you. This is for everybody. This is for whoever who will listen. High invitation. But he also was high challenge. Whoever would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And I will give you a life that is more abundant than you could possibly know. But it comes by dying to yourself in order to live with me. Wow. High invitation, high challenge. Here's what happens. A lot of times, we say, I like the invitation. I like the high invitation. I like less challenge, Jesus. He goes, you don't get that version of me. You get me. And I'm going to give you high invitation and high challenge. And so what is it? How do we let that challenge? Because if we will, that will give us roots. So that when the winds come, our roots are in him. Our roots are in his word. Our roots are in his authority. And it can happen. But also, here's another thing they showed us is that they said, look, every Christian, in order for us to grow, it's, it's a lot about relationships. Almost all Jesus' teaching is about relationships, the way we relate to things and people. But every person needs to have an up and in and an out. If you're looking at this triangle, the up's on top, the in's to the right, and the out's to the left. Now let me talk about this, because what I want you to do in your notes is out to the left, next to number one, right up. Next to number two, right in. And next to number three, right out. Okay? So here's what we got to do. As we look at our lives and we listen to the word of God each day, over and over again, here's what he's going to keep saying to us. The first thing is, love the Lord. Learn how to love me. And this is the greatest commandment. Look up here, if you would, on the screen, Matthew 22. Teacher, 
Someone once said to Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, can you give us the spark notes or the cliff notes? And there's a lot of verses here in the Old Testament. Can you like tell us what's most important to God? Love the Lord your God, notice this, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. One of the things I did in England is I went back to that church we partnered with a few years ago before the pastor moved away. And I just had some friends there and I worshiped there in that church. I have a new pastor now. And uh, on both Sundays, this same person sat in front of me, even though I sat in different places in the room. And after the first Sunday, my host, who I was staying with, said, that person's a brand new Christian in their 40s. They just came to know Christ. I thought, wow. And I could just tell by the way this person was singing that it wasn't just info to them, that they were actually thinking about Jesus while they were singing. Anyway, after the next Sunday, um, I, I said, hey, would you mind if I just ask you, my host, and they, she knew who they were, said that you've just become a Christian. I'm a pastor. I love hearing how God works and changes lives. How did that happen? And she told me a whole long story, but here's what she used. She used this phrase. She said, for years, I attended this or attended this religious thing, but my heart was never engaged until this last year. Now, here's what the Lord's saying. Engage with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Don't think of this as a Sunday-only relationship. Everything you do, do out of love and a loving response to me because we love because he first loved us. Jesus once said to Peter, do you love me? Because if you love me, everything else will take care of itself because you'll respond to me differently. So how do we do that? At Cherry Hills, we say this. We say, by giving myself to God corporately on Sundays and personally. Now, before I went on sabbatical, I taught the membership class the last Sunday I was here. And one of the people that was helping to host the class came up to me, and I could tell they were being playful, and they said, are you going to go to church every Sunday while you're gone? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. That's a conviction to me. Jesus made it his custom, and I want to too. But it's also part of how we talk about loving the Lord. Friends, if Sunday mornings is still a coin toss for you, or still measuring how you feel, you're shallow. And that can change. But if you've decided, I'm going to gather with God's people every weekend because it's a privilege and I want to learn how to love him with other believers who are learning to love him. That's a huge statement. But then don't just do that on Sunday and say, that'll last me all week. It's learning how every day to wake up and go, come on, Lord, teach me, teach me. And uh, with the word of God, prayer, and spiritual disciplines like we've been talking about, but learning how to do everything with love. Second thing is love one another. Love one another. This is Jesus' new commandment. You look up here on the screen, John 13, 34, and 35. This is where this same phrase comes from. He says, a new command I give you. Wait a second. Love one another, that doesn't sound new. Isn't the Bible even say love your neighbor as yourself and stuff? What makes it new? The next part. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, believer or unbeliever alike, will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Here's the thing. Jesus showed his love like this. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's not a feeling. It enables us to choose to love people even that are hard for us to love. And so how do we do this? Where do we practice this love one another piece? Because, you know, we can sit in a room like this and never have to worry about that. 
I mean, every once in a while, if the person behind us or in front of us irritates us, but I mean, we never really have to practice that much, right? But you start, so here's what we say. We say, by giving myself to a life group or some kind of community with other believers where there's invitation and challenge going on. One of the things we realize about our life groups is that we're really good at high invitation, but how much are we challenging each other and holding each other accountable? Because we're message-based small groups, so what happens is we get a chance to not only discuss these, but how do we apply them? And I'm not talking about obnoxious challenge, I'm just talking about, hey, how can we agree that we need to up the challenge factor in our relationships by at least asking questions? How's that going for you? Are you practicing that? Or being honest, I'm not practicing this right now. What, do I, what should I do? Third thing is serve the world. Jesus' great commission. Serve the world. Jesus' great commission. Remember this? He says, for God so loved the world. But then 1 John 2 says, do not love the world. So what is it? You just need to understand the words are different for world. For God so loved the world, that's the world of people. 1 John 2, do not love the world, that's the world's value system. See, God hates the world's value system, but he loves people. And so therefore, we need to be people that don't just say as a church, how can we be all like into each other? How can we also care about people beyond our walls? And so some of us are learning how to join other people in some kind of smaller teams in some of the ministries we have here locally or internationally. We've got 20-some people down in Juarez, Mexico from our church family this week that are just going to try and build into people and serve the world by showing them the love of Christ as well as telling them the truth of Christ. And so that's what we want to be. So the last thing that I want to just do is say this. When I talk about shallowness, I wonder if some of you are here today and you feel like that fighting shallow is getting to the place where you're never shallow again. Does anybody feel that kind of heavy thing coming out of what I'm saying? Because here's the deal. All of us are shallow. All of us are still shallow in lots of ways. We're never going to be completely unshallow till heaven. So part of it is learning how to fight shallow and when we see it in ourselves or when the Holy Spirit points it out. So like this week, okay? I first week back, some of you know I work out at a certain club. So when I got to the club, at the desk, they informed me that there were some new fees that I wasn't aware of, and I didn't react very good. <laughs> and it's been kind of bugging me before I left, okay? But when I came back, and so I just, I played the sarcastic game. Well, you know, I did all this kind of stuff, and I was really smart alecky, okay? So I, I checked in, went, and, and while I was working out, crossed the ticker in my mind. Unbelievable, this thought came. Jeff, Philippians 2 says, do everything without complaining. Now the first thing I wanted to go, oh well. <laughs> Blew that one. <laughs> but the next thing the Lord says is, make it right. So I realized, oh man. I need to go back up to the desk and make it right. But the Lord also said, now, you can do, you know, pouty surrender or glad surrender. I thought, I want to do glad surrender. I want to grow. So I went back to the desk and I just said, total apologies for what you had to listen to when I checked in. Totally unacceptable. Complaining doesn't help anyone. Besides, it wasn't even your idea to employ that. Please forgive me. I want to be a person that builds up instead of tears down. This guy's face was almost like shocked that this still happens in the world. 
And maybe he was just shocked that I got my head screwed on right. I don't know. But here's the deal. In the moment when we find ourselves shallow, will we fight it? Will we fight it with God's word and with humility so that we give God room? Because if we will, guess what? I have no idea, but it's going to be wow. So here we are, okay? Ready for times of testing. Can I tell you where else? Next Sunday, we start a series on 2 Timothy. Why not 1 Timothy? I'll explain next week, okay? <laughs> but it's a really, really good book for times of testing, and the series is going to be called Endure, okay? So here's the question as we close. Is what do I want? What's the Holy Spirit saying to me? Here's a prayer if you want to fill us in. Lord, I want to join you and be a humble, shallow fighter, and I want to be part of a church that is part of shallow fighting. And I will say one last thing before we sing. While I was on sabbatical, God gave me an overwhelming gratitude for you. This church has such a large core of people who have decided that Jesus is asking them to fight shallow and they want to join him. And I just can't thank you enough. So one last sabbatical story. While I was in Iowa, I did a lot of walking. And when I go back to Iowa, where I was a pastor for six and a half years, I, I lay low, but I walked for hours in a cemetery. I know that sounds a little morbid to some of you, but it's really helpful. And the reason why is because when I was there, God took that church, took me through some really tough deaths. And he showed himself faithful. And so every time I climb that hill, I remember that God was already out ahead of us. He was going to help us. And so when I was walking in that cemetery, I was listening to music and praying. And I came across this song on an album that I had heard before, but I just never really realized the song. So the answer to the question is, how do we prepare for times of testing? You don't prepare for it by focusing on yourself and whether or not you're strong enough. You focus on the one who is strong. And who, if you give him room in your life, will be strong in you and will meet you at every turn. And so what I want to know is, what do you desire? Do you desire comfort? Do you desire other things? Or is your desire to know Jesus Christ with the rest of your life and what he says? So this song, listen to the first time through as Bethany sings and then join us. <laughs> 